Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN King's Insider Podcast brought to you by Max Muscle. I am James Ham, your host. And joining me today is a host of another kind. CSN's Jim Cozumore, the host of the Sacramento Kings pre- and post-game show. Jim, what's going on? Ham, what's the word? I'm geared up and ready to talk a little Kings bucket. You're, are you sure? Because it hasn't been pretty lately. Are you sure you're ready to talk Kings basketball? <laughs> I am sure I'm ready to. And, and you know, we can. I think we can both agree, even though it hasn't been the best start one loss-wise. Um, they, other than, than, you know, really one game, they've been in every game. It's been single digits into the fourth quarter, and we've seen levels of competition and growth. So, yes, I am geared up and ready to go, Ham Man. All right, all right. And I'm excited, too, because we're we're on the cusp of Darren Collison coming back. And I know people think I'm crazy when I say this, but his scoring ability and his ability to penetrate and also to play off the ball is going to change the entire dynamic of this team. He averaged over 14 points a game last season. He's a very good scoring guard, and he actually plays defense as well. I think that getting him back on Tuesday might be the key to, to breaking this thing open and kind of turning the tide. How excited are you to see Darren? Because you haven't got to cover a team with Collison running the point. Yeah, I'm intrigued by this because of things that you're saying and from what other Kings fans have told me about Darren Collison. And so what I've done is kind of given about a five to ten game window. And I know that sounds like a lot up to, you know, you know, a ten game window is pretty large. But remember, he hasn't been with these guys for an extended period of time. He hasn't gotten regular timing with these guys. And well, it could be a quick ability to be lobbed into the starting lineup and a quick ability to, to get used to one another. I'm still going to give him a little time to get his timing, to get up to NBA speed. And so I think we'll have a better understanding after 10 games. But, you know, when you say turn the tide, we have to make sure I think that we're all on the same page. I, I think that we're looking for strides made by this team. Um, and, and so Collison maybe gives this team a chance to make some strides and become even more competitive. And maybe James, just maybe, turn some of these games in which it's single digits into the fourth quarter, maybe turn some of those into the ability to close out and actually get some wins. Yeah, you know, uh, Coach Yeager talked about this early in camp. He said the first thing you have to do is you have to teach his team how to compete. And then once we get done with that, and he said, and that could take all season. Once we get done with that, then we've got to teach them how to win. And so it, it's going to be a process. And I think I think most people are are okay with the process. They just don't like the, what you saw on Saturday night in Milwaukee where the team gets absolutely lambasted. So I think while you're sitting there watching it with Doug and you're sitting there like, did the light bulb go on and go, oh my gosh, what in the world have I got myself into? 
You know, um, there are there are times. Well, the Milwaukee game, yeah, it gives you that feeling because it's a blowout. I mean, it, it, the only thing you saw there were young, athletic uh, Milwaukee Bucks players running up and down and having a layup drill and getting dunks and getting up and down the floor and and doing all the things you want your team to be able to do. Um, but if we use the words of Dave Yeager, I would have to say the grade so far for this team for this first window of almost eight games almost 10 games, we'll call it, you know, you know, first 10 game stretch. Um, it, the grade has to be pretty good because he's teaching them to compete. He's competed in every game, but one, that's a positive step from where they were a year ago. And so we want to see this team continue in this competition level. And I think the addition of Collison gives them just another piece that may be able to help them learn to win some games, but let's start with the competition side. And they're doing that. I think you can check that box for this portion of the season. Now let's see if they can sustain it. Let's also not forget, um, James, they didn't have two guys who one is extremely important and Rudy Gay mm -hmm. in that loss they had against the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, you don't know how long that rib injury is going to affect his play, um, even when he's able to come back. And then, and then I know you're a big Tolliver guy, and, and there's a guy who can at times be a, a difference maker for this team. So uh, I, I kind of like – using the coach's words in this one and, and thinking, well, if we got to teach him to compete, I think they're doing that right now. So I like that part of the equation. You know, Coz, I know you talking to you before you actually came up to Sacramento for your first game, you were a bit, you had some anxiety about coming back to Sacramento. You'd been away for a long time, but the reception has been so glowing for you. I mean, I sit there and watch in pregame, while fan after fan comes over and wants to shake your hand, they want autographs, they want to take pictures holding the CSN mic. What has this been like for you to be back in the fold in Sacramento? Overwhelming. Overwhelming. I had much trepidation about returning to a job I held seven years ago. Um, and the trepidation, to be quite honest, was uh, there were a couple of folds to this. One was, well, there was a time when there was an organization who told me I wasn't good enough for them. They said leave, and so I did. Uh, so why would I want to go back to that organization to, to kind of peel that onion away? It's a different group now. So, you know, you have to get over that hurdle at some point emotionally and say, all right, it's a different group of people that are open to the idea of me returning on some level. And, and the other trepidation was simply, I didn't know if, if, you know, again, seven years is a long time. Would a, anyone remember me would be anyone who remembered me like me or care that I was coming back. Uh, but I can only tell you this, that, that both the organization side uh, and the fan side, uh, it, like I get moved to, you know, I get emotional thinking about how, like the first on social media, there was huge on Twitter, and you're the first guy to kind of let the news be out there. And, and I'm seeing all this stuff on Twitter. I'm like, oh, my gosh, people actually remember who I am. And some of them think fondly of me. And then to <laughs> see them physically, um, to see them physically and, and like you said, just to be able to, to reacquaint myself with many Kings fans. Cause I only, you know, I really went last year. I filled in once on a pre and a post game show and I did that reluctantly. And then I went to a game as a fan and I thought this will be the last time I go to see a Sacramento Kings game. I pretty much absolved myself from any of my old Kings feelings, but, um, but I am so happy to be back. I'm so excited to get back to the arena. I'm thrilled that people are so genuinely kind towards me and my family. Uh, so many people, James, you get this. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I know you try to keep your family really far away from everything. 
I can't believe the number of people who ask me about my wife and my daughters and how old they are and what they're doing now and how we're going to see them in a game. It's, it's really heartwarming. And I, I will tell you while I had, was, I had, I was scared about coming back and unsure of wanting to, I couldn't be happier with what the result has been. You know, it's weird. I, I started this seven years ago. I started covering the team and my oldest, who's now 13, uh, was just six years old. And, you know, I took him to a rally and people saw him and got to know him a little bit. And now he's like, uh, he's, I think he's bigger than you, Coase. Uh, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's a strapping teenager. Uh, and when I posted out, and I don't usually do this, I stay away from the personal stuff. When I posted that, you know, Toby's now 13 years old, people freaked out. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't yeah. believe Toby's 13. And, and it's just, it's really strange how people feel a connection to you. I think social media helps with that and everything else. But what is different this time around for you? I mean, you're uh, clearly you get to see a new building. Clearly, this is not the same old Kings that was coming off the Rick Adelman era. Uh, there's new ownership. There's new everything. What is different for you? Um, well, what's different is uh, is really going back new, but with some history. So it sounds like an odd combination, right? It sounds like an odd sandwich that I've thrown together. In in some ways, well, this. So Sacramento and the Kings, the Kings specifically, Sacramento as a whole, it said the last seven years have been miserable for people who have been dyed in the wool, uh, daily Kings fans. You almost have a team ripped from you. Uh, you think you're going to get an arena. You, you, you eventually do. But we've seen a lot of arena attempts come and go poorly. Mm-hmm. And maybe there was always a little bit of second guessing or maybe unsuredness about whether or not they get it done. So there are some hard feelings among fans. What's different for me is that this fan base um, for me is that I didn't live through that daily grind of not knowing if the team was going to be here or not. I was 90 miles away. I was covering a a Giants World Series championships and the 49ers going to the Super Bowl and a Warriors NBA title and the Sharks going to the the Stanley Cup final. I, I was busy doing those things and I was a little removed from it. So what's different this time is that it's like a whole new organization has been thrown together, almost an expansion team with a brand new building and a brand new ethos and a brand new front office and a business side that has a vision. Um, and now it's just a matter of watching this team in some ways become more competitive on the floor. And I know there have been some hiccups. I know the last seven years have not been good in the win-loss column. Uh, but maybe, just maybe, you start to get a little direction. So, so the difference is for me, Again, and part of the reason I think that I was well-received is that people remember when I was with the organization, the organization was pretty darn good, James. I mean, they made the playoffs, what, seven straight years under Rick Allen. I was there that seven-year stretch. So people want to be in touch with the good stuff, and hopefully for this organization, they're going to find their stride. I think they've got everything lined up, and now it's a matter of getting that basketball side in line, and, and hopefully they've got the right answers. You know, being down at the studio with you the last couple of weeks, um, you've got to you've got to see something happen that clearly has never happened in your lifetime, and probably not even your parents' lifetime, and that is the Cubs winning the World Series. Now, <laughs> I, I love watching you cruise around in Ernie Banks jersey or in a, a 1908 Cubs jersey, and you're you're allowed to like. One of the things I really enjoy about CSN is that you're allowed to be a fan. Your fandom can shine mm-hmm. through. 
You've mm-hmm. seen the pain, the 108 years of waiting for something magical to happen. We we put the graphic up the other night. The Sacramento Kings has been since 1951, the longest stretch for any NBA team. What is that like, waiting and, and praying every year that you know, hope springs eternal every year when pitchers and catchers report. But, you know, it's the same for Kings fans who every year think, well, maybe this is a year we snap the the 10-year playoff drought. You know, it's a really great analogy, James, because, you know, watching you guys, uh, you know, over the last year, even with drafts. So the draft comes. It's like, you know, when I was a Cubs fan, or I'm still a Cubs fan, but uh, all those years when I was looking at, it used to be the sporting news once a week came out and they had all of the minor league reports and you could see how your a ball team was doing and they had the lineups for every team and their averages and the pitchers. And I went league by league by league because I knew that, Oh, in a couple of years, we're going to get this guy. And in a couple <laughs> of years, we're going to get this guy. And, and I saw that in the way you guys were following what the Kings were doing with the draft. And how, you know, we've got a couple of people in our office here who are big. We have a number of people here who are huge Kings fans. And, and so they're following, oh, they made a trade with their pick and they got a couple of more picks and they drafted these guys. And then you're watching Summer League in Vegas and everyone's watching games and they're replaying games and they want to see how this guy looks. And, and I can equate it to, I know exactly what that feeling is. You're hoping, you're really desperately hoping that you're going to find a couple of pieces along the way and then you're going to see them grow. And really, that's part of the fun of being a fan. I mean, we would all like to have a team that wins 65 games and every year gets to the conference final with a chance to win the championship. But most of us don't have that. So it's good to see if you can make the choice. Hey, when the draft comes, James, aren't you sitting there thinking, boy, at number eight, I really wish they would take X, Y player. And when they make a trade and you think, oh, wait a minute, they've got two later picks, I hope this player is available at this spot, and I hope this player is available at that spot. And I think we all want to have that connection of, I think I can help pick these guys. And so that's the way I would, I would kind of conjoin the two, the Cubs and the Kings, that we have a, we're, we're all together in this trying to, what will it take for our team to get better, and how close are we getting there? Who can we expect in the next couple of years? So that's, that's kind of how I would equate the two. Yeah, I I definitely feel it. I know you've you've been you've seen the pain. You you felt the pain of loss after loss after loss of of the Bartmans. Of you know never getting to see Ryan Sandberg or or Ron say make it to the to the championship and actually get a shot. So you know uh, Doug is with us. Uh, on... Can I just say this about yeah. that real quick? I'll say that real quick. Is that during this playoff run, I was more comfortable when they lost than when they'd win. Because I never experienced them being a favorite and being able to be the team that's supposed to be winning. So when they went down 3-1 to the Indians in the World Series, I, I, I had a quiet calm about me because I said, ah, it's going to make the story even better. But I knew what it's like to be down. I knew what it was like to be down to the Giants and know that, oh, man, I know the Giants are this team that just explodes in the playoffs. So I was anticipating losses. But when they won, I didn't know how to celebrate. That was the odd thing to it. All right, so I, I I'm with you 100. percent You even said that there was uh, you uh, you were watching the game and and something horrible happened. I I can't. Someone hit a a, a two run homer right to yes to yes, erase Roger the lead, and you went outside and you thought you were going yeah. to be physically yes. ill. <laughs> yes, I almost vomited. I almost vomited in my backyard, and I was cursing at Joe Madden and the Cubs, and I said, "This is the most Cub way to possibly lose a freaking World Series." is to blow a 5-1 and a 6-3 lead. 
and I cursed them up and down. I said, I'm never going to root for those guys again. And then luckily they won. <laughs> luckily they won. They, exactly. All right. So look, I, I know you have a pregame show coming up in just a few minutes. We're, yeah. we're sneaking this yeah. end under the wire. But what is it like to build chemistry and, and to to jump into a, a a booth and say, you know what? This is my pregame show and Doug's pregame show. And, and we're going to build this thing and, and we're going to do this for 81 nights or whatever, 82 nights this season. What is that like for you uh, sort of starting over in Sacramento with a new group of people around you and, uh, and, you know, trying to make something different and exciting for Kings fans every night? You know, the fun part is while there's a level of newness to it, there's a comfort level as well, because I knew Doug from my time with the Kings. He sat behind me on the team plane in the later years of, of my career with the Sacramento Kings. And through my job at CSN hosting Sports Talk Live Monday through Friday, I, I've gotten to know you very well because I've had you on the show a number of times. And so, you know, when you name these guys, don't forget yourself because James Ham's a big part of our pregame and postgame coverage. And, and you know, Katie and Grant and Jerry, and it, they're all familiar faces to me. So it was kind of like putting on an, a, a comfortable old shoe, albeit all gussied up, because what CSN has done with the pregame show, and if you haven't seen it when we're at uh, Golden One Center, you've got to, you either have to come to the uh, Golden One Center and come out and hang with us there to get a real feel for it, but make sure you watch it. But it's been really fun. It, it's been really comforting. Uh, it has been like going home, and I've gotten so many uh, texts and tweets from people who say it's good to have you back home. And, and again, it, it kind of chokes me up a little bit, James, but I, I feel comfortable with it. Doug is easy to work with. Uh, you've been a ton of fun and a great amount of knowledge because I'm reacquainting myself with the situation there and guys like you are helping me out. And, uh, and I, I tell you, I, I look forward to it every night. It's just, the losses are tough. I will say the losses <laughs> can be a bit tough, but other than that, we have a great, you know, that's part of it. We're, we aim to have a great time and to have the best pre and post game show win or lose. So we hope that we're, uh, we hope we're supplying it. There it is. Jim Cozumore, CSN, Kings pre and post game host Jim. Thanks so much for coming in and uh, good luck watching the game as the Kings go to take on the Toronto Raptors this afternoon. We'll have a great show today. Thanks, James. We appreciate it. Looking forward to working with you. Looking forward to seeing you out at the arena again. And then um, also, we'll do, hopefully we can do this again as the team you know progresses throughout the year. We'll get different updates. I, I, I like to listen into your podcast, but I'd like to be a part of that as well. Thank you for having me. Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me, as always, from hoop-ball.com, Mr. Aaron Bruski. AB, what's going on? You know, I just got done battening down the hatches, boarding up the windows, because from what I've heard, the, the Kings fans are panicking. There might be riots in the streets. And, and what I want to make sure is that I know Sacramento is a good town with no criminals, but I just want to make sure nobody's looting in the neighborhood during this great crisis. And if of... you're if you're going to do it, wear a Cubs hat, just so you, you have <laughs> a, a real excuse. <laughs> How many people are going as Bartman this year? Oh, wait, no. Halloween already passed. That tells you where I'm at, folks. Halloween has already passed, and I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it came and it went, uh, and it wasn't pretty. You know, the Sacramento Kings are are in a uh if you like Aaron said are are reading fans they're they're in a death spiral but they're in a rough patch and this is this is to be expected people I think I think we were hopeful that they might be able to come out of this trip 
and, and get to the Darren Collison moment at four and four. Uh, that's a stretch at this point, although they did split the season series last year with Milwaukee one to one, and they beat Milwaukee in Milwaukee, and then they actually swept the season series with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, but this is a different team, and it's playing out to be a very strange and odd week of Kings basketball. I don't know what to make of a lot of it, but we got a lot to talk about, Aaron. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to our sponsors. Uh, Max Muscle is our new sponsor for the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. Very happy to have them on board. But Aaron, if we're looking at this team right now, they're, they've lost three in a row. After a nice win against Minnesota where they showed some resiliency, you know, I, I don't know if either one of us thought that, that they really would beat Minnesota. I think we thought that they had a, a shot at Minnesota at home. But uh, then you get into this this three-game skid, and it's been it's been not just one thing. It's been multiple things hitting them at all times. What are just your brief takeaway from this week at Kings basketball? That it's a really layered discussion that you've got quite a bit going on. Um, everything it's an onion. From the, it's an onion, it's, Aaron. It's a layer cake, if you will. <laughs> and no, the, the, the so you got a couple things going on here. Matt Barnes is very important to this basketball team. He's been banged up and he can't play. So uh, that's one thing. I think that I finally put a finger on what's going on with the offense. And the answer is that it's mechanical. They're too mechanical. And I even cracked up because I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? A little bit of George Carl's wheeling and dealing might not be a bad thing right now. <laughs> well, I that's just, what Omri tried to pull. I that's what Omri went I full like. It up. Hey, I'm running. I don't know about well, you, dudes, but I'm running. But, and obviously, I'm laughing because it's that's just not the answer for this team. But what they're doing on offense is very mechanical, and you can see them going through the motions of the reads, and it's just too stagnant. And I think that gives me a little bit of. I guess less, I don't know, I'm, I'm not personally panicking because I could care less if I lose my bet. But the um, the the panic that you see if you're assessing this team or if you want to say that this team is this or it is that, I'm not really measuring them right now simply because I see where the offense is and I see where it's going to be. And I think that the individual movements within the offense are going to get a lot more fluid, not just a little bit more fluid, a lot more fluid as the reads get easier for players. You have a high post offense and a lot of stuff is just based on whether or not the defense switches or not on the movements underneath the hoop on the flex cut. And then on the outside on these sprint outs. So that gave me a little bit of, of hope for, you know, the Kings in general, because you really don't want to see them lose these games. You I mean, in Atlanta, you can live with a, a, a loss in Atlanta. They're a well-coached basketball team, mm-hmm. albeit flawed. Um, Miami, I, I'm pretty, you know, I'm not as down on Miami as you are, but they should have won that game, and they were in that game. And the thing about this with the Kings that's been so interesting this week is they are not playing well at all, and they're in these games, and this is really strange to watch because – they're uh, usually not in these games when they're playing as poorly as they are. Uh, the Magic game was this. I'm sitting there watching it with a couple other hoops heads and thinking, this is such a pivotal game. If they win this game, they're 3-3, three and three and everybody's talking about how much better they're playing. Mm-hmm. And then if they lose it, everybody's like, the sky is falling. And then you start to see people, you know, the, the people that want to either extract DeMarcus Cousins out of, out of Sacramento or the people that are kind of down on the Kings in general started chiming in after the game and I thought to myself what a swing 
you know, you, you could win or lose the game by two points. That's not what happened, but you could have a swing of, of you know, such a large margin there. So, yeah, the thoughts are um, very robotic on offense, not quite there. Um, they'll, they'll love getting Darren Collison back. Defensively, I think they're all right. But then you got key players like Willie Cauley-Stein that is completely lost. Uh, Ty Lawson, I think the shine has come off him. Um, Matt Barnes, his role in the, in the the offense in particular is is just tremendous at this point. Yeah, I definitely, when I'm looking at them, I, I just see a team that is still trying to put things in and has no time to do it. You know, if you really look at their schedule, they've already played six games and the season is only, well, a little over a week old. They They've had back-to-backs all over the place. Uh, they had a home and road back-to-back. They had a back-to-back on Monday, Tuesday. They have a back-to-back this weekend. They've really only had like three or four days to act- that are off days, and they can't even really be considered days that you would try to put more in it into the offense. And what I see is Jaeger's system is realistically 20 to 30% installed, his offense and the the players are uncomfortable. It's not just the offense that's an issue. It's that they haven't played together. You're trying to instill a new offense with a bunch of players who have never played together. Sometimes it works really well. Other times it works really poorly. DeMarcus Cousins and Rudy Gay are playing out of their mind. And they are realistically not getting any help. We've had one game this season where Aaron Aflalo has scored in double figures. Besides that, he has been very, very mediocre on the offensive side. I think Ben McLemore's had some really good games, and then a, a couple of games here or there that you just like shake your head and say, "Man, what in the world?" You know, I, the the Willie stat of the world is Willie Cauley Stein has four rebounds total on the season. Aaron, he, he he's lost. He is. He is he, I mean, so overwhelmed. <laughs> it's 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 kind of it's almost funny to watch i hate to say that there was a play late in the game in the orlando game where all they needed was a rebound he boxed out for once he had the ball right in front of him and instead he turns around and pushes vucevic you're like what are you doing so and he's just that's uh, what lost players do when they're lost. They just don't know what's left and what's right. He is as lost as I've seen anybody in the NBA. And that's just again, it's a system thing. And he's going to have to figure that out. And he will. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know, he'll get tired of sitting the bench because that's where he's going to be. And until oh, I he think gets so, too. Figured out. Yeah. And and that's that's fine. You know, I'm a big Willie Cauley Stein guy. And, you know, sometimes people got to learn that way. You know, he's he's a very. um you know, he's very cerebral in everything he does. And I think he gets real high and he gets real low uh, and, and he'll get real low and then he'll figure it out. He'll get back out there and start changing the game defensively, which he's out there, which is what he's out there to do. And I maybe even the talk early on in the preseason didn't help him as far as all the offensive stuff. And that's just, you know, the ups and downs of being a young NBA player. Um, I, I would say this, though, you know, everybody is, I think, a little bit rusty. Like DeMarcus is for all of his you know, unworldly talents, he's still unable to seal off his man in the post and the Kings correctly are going to him in the post, especially late in the fourth quarter. And you saw how bad it hurt for them to not have Matt Barnes in the game because he is really almost like a lock to make a good entry pass into the post. When you use Rudy or anybody else, Ty Lawson can't do it. 
Matt Barnes, Barnes just does it. Yeah. Omri can't. They, Matt Barnes can do that pass. And then DeMarcus has to learn how to seal his man and stop going for all of this extra movement, which gets offensive fouls. And it's the game within the game that he's kind of stuck playing. And again, this is, you know, for the last last year, he didn't work on posting really at all because they refused to put him down there. And even throughout his career, you know, the the work on being a, a presence in the post and learning how to seal your man, because there's a give and take with it. If, if they overplay to the left, you've got him on the right. If they overplay to the right, you got him on the left. If it's really that hard to get him the ball, like Jerry said during the telecast, you screen across and bring him across that way. There are multiple ways and counters to get a ball into the post. And back in the 80s, I hate to take it that long ago, this was never an issue. There was no problem getting a guy the ball in the post. It's kind of laughable that we're even talking about this. But well, he's that's because pick illegal defense rules have changed completely. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. But still, I mean, this should not be an issue. No, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Matt Barnes gets it done almost every time, and that's the reason is is because he can pull and shoot if he wants. And if you're going to, you know, double ba- double down or play one way or the other, he knows which way to counter on the pass. And then the the poster has to be able to feel that and seal which way they want to seal. And that's that. That's that's simple stuff. It's again, I think it's a roboticness. I think they're scraping the rust off of last year. Even a guy like a Flalo, he's not getting his looks because frankly, the point play has not been good. And, you know, it's funny, too, because everybody's kind of anointed me, the Garrett Temple guy. And I'm I'm not the Garrett Temple guy, folks. I just think that he's going to help your basketball team out in his kind of minimal role of 20 to 25 minutes per game. He's not a playmaker. He's just a solid basketball player that's going to come off the bench and he's going to play some of the best defense on your basketball team. So I don't know if I'm the Garrett Temple guy, but I'm going to continue to tell you that Garrett Temple cannot play the point guard position. He, well, he I can't mean, beat his be... man off the dribble, and he can't shoot from the perimeter. So he's he's not breaking anyone down, any defensive system down, and he's not spreading out any defensive system. So all they're doing is locking up DeMarcus, and then they're hoping that Temple takes these you know 18 to 20-foot jumpers that he keeps taking. And while he hasn't been atrocious offensively, I mean, when you're shooting 20% from three, no one's going to respect that. And... That's what he's doing right now. And Aflalo is not helping because he's not heading anything from the perimeter. And there's been one game this season, which I it was the Miami game, where Aflalo came out and was super aggressive. The Kings want that. They want him to be super aggressive. I think there's going to come a point where Aflalo, you can't have Rudy Gay, DeMarcus Cousins, both of them on the bench at the same time. Well, you can throw Aflalo into there. Maybe the the answer is to go a flalow off the bench with Ben McLemore as a starting shooting guard, and that's been tried again and again throughout this kid's career. But again, it kind of feels like that might be the way that this thing goes because a flalow is an isolation player, just like Cousins and Gay. And I need some fluidity. I need I need Omri Caspi cutting. I need Ben McLemore cutting and popping up and hitting shots. I. I, don't know. I got some bad news for folks. Omri Caspi's not a fit for this offense. And it's unfortunate because he's a great player. He's, you know, he, he's the guy. He's a great guy for the team. And he can be okay in this system. It's just not his system. It's not, you know, it's not going to accentuate the positive parts of his game. And th- he's going to do good things for this team. Don't get me wrong. I just think that if we're trying to, you know, talk systems and, and whether or not Omri's a good kind of read and react player, 
you know, it, this is, it's not a triangle, but it's very similar to triangle in that there's a pass, there's a read, and then there's cuts. And that's, he's, Omri's more of a free flowy guy. Um, yeah. But, but, but here's the thing. Same with Ty. They're not getting, they're not getting any offense out of the point guard position. Like Ty Lawson isn't breaking anybody down. He's, he's doing well when opportunities present themselves and he is by and large a better offensive player than than like Garrett Temple or anything else that the Kings have at the point guard position. But he's not winning any battles. And that makes me just wonder, you know, you look at a lot of teams, they don't accentuate the point guard position. That's, you know, in today's day and age, the point guard position at, on most teams is pretty stocked. But there have been plenty of teams in this NBA, the current NBA, that don't run a star point guard out there and they just simply don't run their offense through this, this, this point guard. Usually that's a defensive player that you're, you're trying to get an advantage then on the defensive side rather than the offensive side. So like this idea that Garrett can't play point guard, it's really, who is he defending on the court? And then are we choosing to run the offense through him? If you're choosing to run the offense through Garrett temple and you put him on the court with, you know, other guys that can't make plays, of course that's not going to look good, but in spots, with other guys that are, you know, DeMarcus Cousins and Rudy Gay, Aaron Afalo, those guys carry the weight. Not not Garrett Temple. He, he doesn't need to carry the weight with that group. Point being is I think they're suffering when you when you have offense that is stagnant because people are still learning the cuts and they're still a half second to a full second to even like a couple seconds slow. I was noticing in the Orlando game the the cuts and the reads they're just not there. And then if you don't have a point guard that can blaze past his guy or get into the pick and roll when things break down, I mean, Ty right now is still afraid to shoot. And and that's an unfortunate thing because the defenses know that. So nobody, nobody's chasing him off the three-point line. Everything is packed in. And that's your problem with the Kings is if you're going to be robotic and you're going to be slow and you're going to have less playmakers on the floor, it's going to be a little bit harder. But I'll say this, when they're playing really, really bad and the score is... 84 to 80, you know, going down the stretch of the fourth quarter. That's not bad. That's, I think, where the Kings want to be. And that's why I'm not really panicking about this start, even though it looks bad on paper. I think that it probably looks worse than it really is. Yeah. And you know what? I've had a, I've had a chance to, to talk to Ty about the offense a couple of times and he's still trying to figure it out. And I actually had a, an opportunity to talk to, to Darren while he's out on suspension and I said, are you, are you studying film? And he said, yes, I'm studying every play that Mike Connolly Jr. ever ran. And he said, I have so much more respect for him than I did before. It's, <laughs> yep. it, it's, this is, and the other thing I'll tell you, one of the cool things about my job is that I get to sit in the green room with Doug Christie and just flat out talk basketball for hours and the thing that Doug keeps saying is like, look, don't watch Dave Yeager run basketball because Dave Yeager run, don't go watch Memphis because Memphis is cool, right? Memphis did things their way and it was really good. If you want to watch the next progression of that, go back and watch the 2002-2003 Sacramento Kings. It's the same base system, just with all of the cuts put in. So now you get to see it. And what Doug keeps saying is that... The problem that Ty has and the problem that, that he hopes that Darren doesn't have is that Ty thinks that there's some way for him to break down a defender with the ball. And in this system, 
that's not how it works. You as mm-hmm. as a point guard from the top of the key, as soon as you get past your guy, there's two guys standing there and then two guys standing with them. You know, your two bigs are standing there. So the way that you break down this this defense, the, the defense in this system is not with the ball, it's without the ball. You have to get it to your bigs and trust that when you make your cut, they will find you on the on the next move. You got to you got to hope that if you cut through and you don't get the ball right there, then you loop to the corner and you hope that the big man either passes it to you in the corner or finds a cutter who finds you in the corner or you loop back through and you start it all over again. And that's where you can really excel in this. It's that you have to excel without the ball. And I started to see a little bit, and it seemed to me what the Kings did is they pulled Cousins out maybe a step or two above the top of the key, above the uh, above the free throw line, more towards the top of the key. And then he, they, they used Ben and Omri cutting through, and Cousins missed Omri on the first cut, but he saw Ben on the second cut, hit Ben for a wide-open layup. And I think that's where you're going to start this, start to see this offense develop. It's in that second level of passing. Absolutely. And if you watch Willie Cauley-Stein and why he's a, a great one to watch if you're trying to figure out what the Kings are doing is because he's lost and he's telegraphing all of his moves and all of the Kings moves. So when the ball goes into the big, what you're seeing is some sort of a flex cut across the bottom, some sort of action on the post. But what the big does is they read who is cutting where and they have an option to dribble right or dribble left into a handoff and have that player come off the screen and basically into a modified pick and roll and and that kind of thing is is just phenomenal for uh easy shots and that second third pass off of that system is kind of what doug is talking about with the old sacramento kings offense and that's what they don't have right now. It's it's still too robotic. Defense are able to recover off of the first action, and it's leading to a lot of stagnancy. And with Ty in particular, he's trying to make something happen, and it almost always ends up in a reset back at the top, and then you're looking for something like a quick pick and roll with not a lot of action on the backside, and it's leading to tough shots, and that's why the scores have been down. But I will say this. I look at this offense, and I get excited because I love watching good basketball, and you see elements of good, solid basketball within the offense. And if only 20% is implemented or, you know, they're not ready yet, I think this is actually a good spot for them. They're going to regret miss. They're going to regret losing these games. These were games they should have won. They should have picked up at least one of the two games against Orlando and Miami. I agree. Even with the Atlanta loss, realistically, they should be three and three. They're two and four. They can probably... You know, if they pick up one and they go three and five out of this trip, you go, hey, we had no no Darren Collison. We're brand new, new system, new coach, new players. You can live with that at three and five. And you're getting your second, I mean, your third leading scorer back. I mean, really, that's the problem that we see. On most nights, the Kings don't have a third guy scoring. And then if you can start getting 10 or 12 points out of a Flalo, if his game opens up a little bit, if you can start getting nine or 10 points out of Omri Caspi, out of a guy like Matt Barnes, now we start seeing something building. And again, I keep saying this, but I want to see Ty Lawson against backup point guards. I think he's still a very productive player. I just think, number one, this system isn't built for him. Number two, the team that's on the floor isn't built to play with him, and he still hasn't figured out the system at all, how to give up the ball and then get the ball back on cuts, how to get it on handoffs, how to get it 
in a better spot for him. He right now he needs to be hitting his three point shots, which he's not doing at a regular basis. These are things that he can improve on to to kind of find his way in this. But he just seems lost, like Willie seems lost. And again, I mean, the way that Jaeger has kind of worked this so far is that if uh, if Matt Barnes starts, then Costa Kufis is the first big off the bench, and Willie Cauley Stein isn't going to play. But if Costa starts alongside Demarcus, then you're going to see a lot more of of guys like Willie Cauley Stein because he's sticking with sort of this big, this this too big thing. Uh, only one of those two guys I think is going to play on most nights. And then he's got to figure out, you know, is it Temple? I, I mean, not Temple. Is it Tolliver or is it uh, Matt Barnes or is it Omri Caspi who's going to play the bulk of minutes there? Can you play two of those guys and be effective? Uh, I Again, if you go back to the Orlando game, I would have liked to have seen more Matt Barnes, less Willie Cauley-Stein, Matt Barnes and Omri Caspi, Omri Caspi and Rudy Gay. That... Uh, and Matt Barnes and and Rudy Gay. I want to see those three start to formulate some sort of forward combo that makes sense because I think defensively they can rotate and help each other. They can switch easier because they're similar size. And then on the offensive end, I think Caspi gives this team an element. Uh, Aaron, their their second team to me is horribly boring. It's so boring. <laughs> I and heard it, you say that on the cast. I, I said it, and it's not working. I want to see well, Omri run. And I agree with that. And one thing of, that I've been wondering about is this will Ty, will Darren come off the bench? Everybody always talks about that. And it always was one of those topics that kind of made me wince because I'm like, you know what? It's just, start the guy I don't want to hear about you know Darren coming off the bench because he's willing to or he's done it in the past but in this situation I wonder because that second unit that they throw out there it's boring because they can't score no and so you have Darren Carlson as your third best scorer why not stagger him into that second unit make Ty a placeholder starter for you know give him 20 minutes a game maybe more if he's doing well but really you know keep your your offensive unit with the, the first quarter, you know, strong with DeMarcus and Rudy, and then you go with Ty there, and then you bring Collison out with the second unit and give them the ball handling, handling they desperately need. And the, the other thing is, is if you're not going to put Temple in the starting lineup and you're going to go with the Flalo, combining Temple with Lawson is not enough shooting on the perimeter. So you probably go Darren and Temple in the second unit and you've got, again, rangy defenders that can hold their own, and there's enough shooting with that backcourt to make it happen. Um, so I wonder if they pull something like that, but still give Darren 30 minutes a game and and let him do his thing. Darren shot 40% from three last year. He's a 37.4% a shooter from three. I think having him as the starter opens the whole game up because you have to respect Darren Collison's three-point ability and not only as an on-ball player, but off the ball. Darren Collison is an exceptional off-the-ball player. He played tons of minutes with uh, with Chris Paul and with the Clippers. He's a guy who can really play off the ball. He knows where to find spots as a three-point shooter. And again, I don't want to get this back to 2015-16 Kings where you're playing the same exact guys and you're going away from every every player that you brought in. But at the same time, I think that team under a better system isn't a horrible team. 
And I, again, I, I like to see a Flalo. I, I think a Flalo needs to be more aggressive and more assertive. I think adding a, a score, a lead scorer like uh, Collison in the starting lineup, I think it's going to open things up for a Flalo. I don't think it's going to take know, away. You know what's happened with a Flalo? In the first few successful games, they were really methodical about taking advantage of post matchups with Rudy and a Flalo. And they got away from it. And I don't know if that's a tie thing, if he was trying to just kind of feel how far he could push his game against the boundaries, or if that was just a system thing where they, they went away from that. But that's, to me, the exciting part of this Kings offense is you have three post threats. And anytime you get the ball beneath the free throw line and, and guys have to turn their head and locate the ball and locate their man, that leads to wide open shots on the perimeter. So... I think they got to get kind of back to that and and dump the ball into a follow in the post and let them work down there and do the same thing with Rudy. And and this could just be a case of them getting out of the system itself and working more into the pick and roll game and, and more of the dribble handoff game and then wondering kind of like after the game, you know, okay, what happened here? You know, you only get so many possessions per game and it's pretty easy to get off track if you're not hyper-focused on staying on track. And right now they're just learning things. They are, and I think that's what a lot of people are looking at. They're they're confused with what Jaeger's doing, and I think a little bit, Jaeger is a little bit confused about what exactly he's going to get every night from every player. And when, I'm just going to say this, and don't take this the wrong way, Ben McLemore, but when Ben McLemore is like your, your third most consistent player, things have gone horribly wrong. And that's the way it is right now. And, you know, you could say that Temple's been solid, but, I mean, he's averaging four points a game. You can say that Aflalo has been solid, but really he hasn't been. He's had one decent game. The rest of the games, he's kind of been hit and miss. Uh, you know, we've seen the rebounding numbers. This team should not should not be. I mean, they're starting two centers and getting out-rebounded by teams. That doesn't make any sense at all. And watching, again, Willie, uh, when he's picking up one rebound and Ty Lawson at five foot eight is picking up seven in a game, Something's wrong. You got to be aggressive. Know. You got to go out there and just go he, get it. He is just lost, just lost. And and that's, you know what, this is the first week of the season. And I, I said it on our show earlier today over at Hoopball. I was like, none of this stuff is going to matter in about four weeks. And and that, I think, is probably the biggest takeaway. We, we take it all very seriously here. And, you know, we analyze every little piece of data. But really, this isn't going to matter in four weeks. So I think you know, flag that comment and then, you know, take a look at Willie Cauley-Stein in about three weeks, take a look at Ty Lawson, take a look at Aaron Aflalo. I think they will all shift and be, you know, better than they are right now. Uh, Matt Barnes, though, I mean, this team is like night and day different with him on the floor. <laughs> and He's so gritty. I, I love watching him play. I do. It's, and you know what? I mean, as a, a former Warriors fan, before you get into media, um, he was always that guy. He he. When he was on the floor, good things were happening, and that's the thing with the Kings is he is that he's kind of like the engine grease right now, and it's all smooth when he's on the floor. And um, even the defensive rotations, you know, they just with other players, you know, they just I, they they cannot have that guy off the floor. That's um, yeah. That's no good. I don't envy what Dave Yeager has to do here because he has to figure this out on the fly. We talked about it in in preseason. You know, Anthony Tolliver had that game where he, he went off for seven three-pointers. And, and during that stretch at the same time, Omri Caspi is sitting on the bench. 
uh, with a hip issue, and then he got the flu, and, and then he got sick again this week and missed two games, and so he hasn't had that opportunity, and then he looked like he was on roller skates half the time he was in there. He missed like what, three breakaway dunks. He fell down one time. It, it literally looked like the the ghost of Bo Outlaw just tripped him. And, you know, it's just like, what in the world is going on here? He's he's fumbling the ball. And so he looked like he was struggling. He, and and a lot of these guys, you know the, why they're struggling, Aaron, is they're, they're trying to put too much on themselves. And they're not just taking a deep breath and playing basketball. That, again, Willie Cauley-Stein, if he just runs out there and tries to play maniac defense and swap balls where, you know, last year he kept breaking fingers because he kept swatting balls so hard he was hitting the backboard. And he goes out there and he does the same thing for rebounds and just goes out there and tries to be athletic, tries to to, to put man a, a body on a man and go do good work. That's one thing, but uh, they're just they're overthinking it. You can see it. You can see the wheels turning. And then I guess we should get to the other thing is that they should have won the Miami game, but they got jobbed. I <laughs> they, was just wondering if you were going to bring that they up. They got jobbed! <laughs> was, it was it was pretty bad officiating, and it was the entire quarter. It was, I don't, and this kind of backs into the Cousins thing. Like, he's going to have to clean his act up so he starts getting the benefit of the doubt on these calls and getting the star whistle. I, I don't mean, buy it, though. When you call a game for 36 minutes one way, and then you get to the fourth quarter, what is Cousins supposed to do? All of a sudden, you, you let Udonis Haslam come in, who... People, he's not an NBA basketball player anymore. Udonis Haslam is not an NBA player. No, but he has the ref's respect, so they let him get away with the extra push. But they that's let him... bunk, dude. You it don't is, let a guy bunk. come in and bunk. just I'm, beat I'm on people. I'm not saying that it's good or that it's it, it's the right thing. I'm just saying that's the way that it is. And with Cuz, he's got to stop doing that stuff. I mean, he he, it just disadvantages himself and, and his team for – no good reason. Oh, He's there's got no to question. Stop the stupid reaching fouls. Yeah, it, there's no question. He hurt and the team. Yeah. He's he's you know gotta just get out of that mentality of trying to win the referee battle every night because he's not gonna win it. And one the 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 scary thing is the minute that he gives that little bit of dap to the referees, he might go to the foul line 14 times a game. Like he is that unstoppable on the block, and when he starts getting those calls. You know, that's going to just be something else. But they got jobbed. I hey, mean, he's going to the line 12.7 times per game. I mean, he yeah. is going, he's got to be, if he's not leading the league, he's really close. And that's after one game where he didn't play a whole lot. I mean, he's been po- posting 18 free throws a game, 16 free throws a game. I mean, that's where he's been. But still, that that doesn't excuse six fouls in one quarter, including the final foul for the NBA to back that foul up. That yeah, they back them uh, up all the time, though. Oh they, my th- gosh, that, that was. A bit, you know, it, but then again, like it's how he sells it. So like on that drive, he his hand kind of um, kind of goes out first to to kind of f- fend off Hassan, and that in its own might have sold the foul that way regardless of the egregious contact that occurred and you know how do you make that call the way that you make that call because it was a terrible call yeah and yeah yeah i mean the league rules state you're not allowed to what is it uh impede the speed the quickness uh the rhythm or something well, else he just bodied uh, him of an much. offensive player well he reached he was out of position he, and he reached 
And that's that's all you can say. He was he set himself up north and south for a guy coming to his west, and he just reaches right across his body. He didn't stay in front of his man. He just reached. Cousins, of course, grabs his arm, which you know in the end it could be called it could have been a hook, but the contact was initiated by a defensive player who was completely out of position. And, yeah, and I mean, it, that's what it comes you, down to. Well, and there was multiple other calls during that game as well. I mean, Ben was sitting there with the ball on the ground after a scramble and basically Deion Waiters tackled or jumped, jumped oh, on kicked him, like him in the head. Scrum. Yeah. And the Kings are calling timeout. Cousins and... was looking at the official calling timeout. He, he was telling cousins to get out of his way so he could go over and make a call. And then he calls a jump ball. And it's like, look, man, my guy had the ball. The other guy was jumping on top of it. And why they're not replaying that. Uh, I don't know. It was a strangely officiated game. And that is, um, you know, that's kind of the thing on the road. And that's, again, why, you know, I think just with Cuz, he's got to slowly turn that around because he's just working against himself. And it's, um, I mean, I don't know. Somebody's got to sit down with not just Cousins, but all NBA players and show them what a foul is. Like, I am amazed that, like, somebody doesn't take these guys aside and be like, okay, we're going to watch fouls. And what is a foul and what isn't a foul? And then they can kind of get a, get a sense of what a foul, what a foul isn't. I mean, it is. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. Okay, it, so so look, we, we got to wrap this up, Aaron. We don't have all night. We can't just keep bemoaning the fact that the Kings completely got jobbed in Miami. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they've got two games to finish this trip. Can they finish this with any positivity or the way the Greek freak and Jabari Parker are playing right now in, in Milwaukee is, I mean, holy cow, Antetokounmpo, he is playing, I mean, he's averaging 24 points, like nine rebounds, 6.3 assists, two blocks and 1.2 steals. But Rudy Gay has been great too. Rudy Gay, for all those people out there who are wondering if they're going to, how do you trade Rudy Gay at this point? You don't trade Rudy Gay at this point. He's he's auditioning for 29 other teams, and the Kings are reaping the benefit of that audition because he is playing the best basketball he's ever played in Sacramento. Uh, but can you get through Milwaukee? And then Toronto is a, is a 50-plus win team. They always are. They're well-coached. And I guess the one other thing I'll point out, Aaron, we talked about the this stretch here. And while they're playing some young teams – some teams that aren't great. If you look at the coaching staffs that they've gone up against just this week, the Buttonholzers, uh, you got Spolstra, you've got Frank Vogel, who I think is one of the best young coaches, totally uh, undervalued coach in the league. These are really good coaches. I, I don't know that I put Jason Kidd in that category, but Dwayne Casey is a phenomenal coach in Toronto. This stretch, I think maybe that's something that we overlooked that of the five games that they're playing, four of them are against some of the brightest, younger coaches in the league. And that's not easy. They come in, they're well-prepared, and they look like a team that is going to beat a team like the Kings when they're coming on the road. And they they just look prepared. Yeah, well, the Milwaukee guys are all pissed off. The players are not happy with their minutes, and Jason Kidd is yanking them around the rotation. And yes, Giannis is getting his numbers, but nobody is playing well there so that's good news for the kings they're three and two though toronto yeah but they ain't playing well and and that's (laughs) that's something that that if you're watching closely you kind of kind of pick up on that stuff um so watch watch for that i don't think the kings are a shoe in on any of these games you're right about the coaching and and the 
Magic were really bad their first two games, but they're going to play better than people will think, despite their roster woes. Um, Toronto is just a tough out. I don't think the Kings have a real shot in that game. And um, that's just that. So I think that they really got to circle this Milwaukee game and get in there and really give whatever they got, put it into that game. If they've got to kind of sacrifice the Toronto game to, to make the Milwaukee game work, I'm pretty sure that's how Dave Yeager will be looking at it. But that's definitely how I'm looking at it right now. Well, yeah, and if you can somehow get away with the split and come back three and five, and then you have the Pelicans and the Lakers, you have a an honest-to-goodness opportunity to go back to 500. So I think that, that that's there. If you don't, and then all of a sudden you drop one to the Pelicans and we're looking at six straight losses, even if you get one against the Lakers, you're coming back with the with the Trailblazers and the Spurs and the Clippers and the Raptors again and the OKC, all of a sudden the schedule gets a little bit tight. And, uh, you know, you got to take care of your business when you when you can. Again, this is a new team. I think everyone should be uh, not stepping up to that ledge and just taking a deep breath. Let this team kind of figure itself out because that's what they're doing right now. Jaeger is definitely he's confused with what he has. It's clear to me he's doing everything in his power to learn his team on the fly. And I think overall, he'll figure it out in the end. So Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? Yes. My final thoughts are lay off Garrett Temple, people. I don't know why he's become the guy, but you guys, you know, stop chasing good players out of Sacramento. I've tried to help you guys in the past. He's not the guy you guys need to get on. He's going to give you 20 to 25 minutes per game. He's not an offensive savior, but he's definitely somebody defensively that you guys want on the court. So those are my final thoughts. Your final thoughts. Yeah, I would say if you're going to get on Garrett Temple, you should equally be getting on Aaron Aflalo, who is averaging just 8.3 points. He's shooting just 37.5% from the field. The biggest thing I'll circle on his stat line is that he's averaging two rebounds per game. And so when you hear Dave Yeager talk about his wings that aren't getting back and, and doing anything on the rebounding side, I, I think you can circle him because Ty Lawson at five foot eight, six assists, four point two rebounds, he's really not playing that poorly. He just doesn't understand how to get himself free in the offense. So uh yeah, I you know, again, I'm just gonna say Temple defensively he's been fine. He hasn't been this wonder that I thought he would be. Uh, but when this whole thing kind of sorts itself out with Darren Collison in the mix, I think this team is going to look very, very different. So that's going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. Again, thank you to Max Muscle, our sponsor. Uh, we will be back next week. The Kings will have plenty of more content for us to talk about because the season is in full swing. So for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thank you for tuning in to the Kings Insider Podcast. See you soon. <laughs>